Podcasting is an astonishing amount of work, so I rely on some great tools to make it easier. One of my staples is Zencaster. They provide a crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. I love that it records separate audio and video tracks for the guests and for me so that everything comes through really clearly, even if there's a lag in the internet. Plus, there's a secured cloud backup so you never lose your interviews. Since I'm often recording from remote places, I love that it's easy to record audio only as well as audio and video. It's super easy to use and there's nothing to download aside from your recordings. My guests just click on the link and we start recording. Go to zen.ai slash canine conservationists to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Pro. So again, that's zen.ai slash canine conservationists for 30% off. Welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm a co-founder of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Today, I am here with the Skyless Ecology team, Tracy and Fiona, and we are going to be talking about predatory behavior and our detection dogs and how to work safely around wildlife and livestock. Um, so we're going to let Tracy and Fiona introduce themselves or maybe introduce <laughs> each other if you, that's what you prefer, and then we'll get, dive right into it. I'll let you introduce yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Hi, I'm Tracy, uh, Tracy Lighton, and yes, director and co-founder of Skyloss Ecology with Fiona Jackson. Yeah, uh, yeah. My name is Fiona. You'll be able to tell the difference between us and our accents. So yeah, I'm I'm Fiona Jackson. Um, <laughs> are you doing a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, yeah, think, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, we both work out yeah, of Australia, yeah. which is um, a, a great place to be, and with conservation dogs. Um, I come from a background of. Uh, started with urban search and rescue, volunteering for many moons, uh, which is. Um, dog handling in another way but a lot of similarities and also I guess a conservation mm -hmm. background of mm -hmm. uh, you know 14 years with the National Park Service down in Victoria in, in Australia so I kind of meshed my my passion mm -hmm. for uh, working with my dog and my conservation um, passion drive ethos <laughs> and link them both in together and and, mm -hmm. and yeah the rest is history yeah, and um, I've been in Australia for yeah. over five years now. I came to do to learn how to be a, a conservation detection dog handler um, with Tracy. Tracy um, showed me the ropes uh, way back in 2017. Uh, and before that, I was, uh, I guess, maybe a bit more of an academic background. I was doing um, animal welfare uh, masters when I learned about conservation dogs and um, was fortunate to have Megan Parker um, as my thesis supervisor and so started mm -hmm. off with, yeah as, as an academic background and then quickly uh, learned that I needed to learn all the practical skills to to do this as a career yeah I it would be really cool at some point to get together all of like Megan Parker's um you know, academic or professional children and grandchildren. Um, I, I feel like we all have um, some, yeah, uh, everyone in this field currently has, like, there are a couple big mentors that most of us can trace back yeah. to at some point. Yeah. Um, big fan. So, yeah. yeah. Hats off to Megan Parker. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So um, why don't we also talk a little bit about a couple of the dogs that you share your lives with? And I don't know, actually, your structure. Do you have kind of org dogs that get traded back and forth? Or do you each own your individual dogs? Is it kind of a mix? Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your dogs and what that setup is yeah, like for so you. Yeah, so we've got five dogs at, at Skylos that are our own dogs. Well, tr they, they are tracing my dogs. Um, and then we, but we, we the, with those dogs that we have handlers um, who can work those dogs if they go through the training with that particular dog. We have a couple that are really good at showing new handlers the, the ropes. Um, and then we also have um, mm -hmm. uh, one of our handlers uh, who has her, her own dog who is currently in training and doing fantastically. Um, that's Laura and Freddie. Um, but yeah, our five, they're, they're, they're herding mm -hmm. dogs in terms of, of their, their breed. And they're a mix of dogs that we've had from Pup. And then also two of them we've had from Pup. And then three of them are rescue dogs. So there's a bit of a mix um, in terms of how, how cool. they mm -hmm. became Skylos dogs as well. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah, I think we're, um, and we've talked about this on social media multiple times, but we've got um, a pair of doppelgangers with Barley and Oakley. Um, <laughs> and, that, uh, and Oakley is yeah, Very, uh, I mean, all black and all black and white border collies look a little bit alike, but these two are really like. I think we've all done yeah, some double absolutely. takes. Absolutely, and and o o Oakley, the doppelganger, is probably our, our best employee trainer, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. he? He he brings on the newbies and says, "Righto, this is how it's done." <laughs> but he, <laughs> but looking at Barley at your dog, it's not even just how they look; it's also their mannerisms mm. and the way that when I look at videos of Barley, I'm like. Oakley does that. Yeah. Well. You know, even the other day you're saying Barley was giving you, had to find you a present when you came home. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> another thing that these two are similar with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. As soon as any amount of emotion spikes for Barley, whether it's positive or negative, he's got to have a stick in his mouth. Um, and that's, I actually, I use that. Um, I've used it in the past um, when I was working a lot with reactive dogs and aggressive dogs and Barley was kind of my neutral dog. Um, as I taught him that if another dog barks at you, you grab yourself a stick or a pine cone and we'll play a little bit. And that was kind of how I got him through <laughs> um, that, that uh, neutral dog work. And he, he still will now do that as like a way to yeah, self-soothe. That's nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. Um, yeah, so why don't we, as I, as we said up top, we're kind of here to talk a little bit about predatory behavior, prey drive, wildlife interactions. I, you know, I don't quite know how to summarize this cleanly. So why don't we start off with talking, like, what are some of the things that you think about as um, your core goals with your dogs? Um, around like wildlife uh, and livestock interactions yeah, i think i think what we actually call it is animal interaction so um and and and, mm -hmm. and that's instead of kind of focusing on their their drive or predatory behavior as such we we focus mm -hmm. on about how they interact in the natural environment and for the animals wildlife livestock um, we were saying it before we were talking about it, there wouldn't be a survey that didn't have an animal of some description in it. <laughs> and so so mm -hmm. we want to make sure that they interact safely 
Um, and, and I guess that's, yeah. I think, the focus for us versus harnessing their drive. Or... Yeah, and it's, it's, it's about them knowing that the animal's yeah. there and acknowledging it, and that's probably why we do call it not, like, you know, avoiding them or, or anything. It's just it's interacting. It's how can they safely interact and not disturb the animal and, and maintain listening to their, their handler throughout the survey and, to be honest, just continue to work and not be, not be distracted by them. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's pretty mm-hmm. important for us. Like Trace is saying, particularly on our wind farm work, you know, we're always around sometimes quite curious livestock <laughs> as well as birds, rabbits, foxes, kangaroos. Mm-hmm. The, the, there is a lot, there is the potential for a lot of distraction in that kind of environment. So it's more just that the dog registers it, yeah. knows it's there. If they need to listen to us, if we need to put in a, a, an instruction, we will, but otherwise they can just carry on about about their job. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's a really lovely and important distinction is it's not it's not just that we don't want our dogs to harm wildlife and it's not just that we don't want our dogs to chase wildlife or livestock um and it's not just that we want them yeah it's not that just we don't we don't want them to chase but then it's that we actually want them to be able to continue working in the presence of these other animals um which i think is a really important kind of three-tiered distinction that maybe, you know, I think when I was a brand new baby conservation dog handler, I was pretty focused on at at best the fact that I didn't want dogs to be chasing wildlife. And I think at my uh, maybe more naive areas was even just, oh, I don't want them to harm wildlife. And it's like, that, that's, that, that's not quite the bar that we're going for anymore. Yeah, I mean, those, those are, those are two yeah, and luckily I wasn't in charge of training plants at that point, so it didn't matter that I was quite that naive at that and point. We <laughs> but, don't we yeah. don't want them to to chase or or harm what we're there to protect. That's a really important mm-hmm. aspect of what we do. But we also they're not mm-hmm. robots, so you know we don't want them to be out in the field and go. There is no animals out here. It's like there is, and they will see them, and they will rate them and smell mm-hmm. them if they're upwind of them um but but yeah it's 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 not about for us um controlling it it's about working them working with us and us working with them and and having that common understanding of what what we're doing and why we're doing it out what we're doing together and why we're doing it out there and how the animals fit within the landscape i think i think there's definitely safety reasons in the sense that you don't want the animal an animal to to get harmed and you also don't want your dog to hurt itself if it starts chasing something and loses its brain so there's two absolutely on both parties there's a, a definite safety aspect but there is coming back to it, our job is that we're out there collecting data and if the dog is too busy seeking out another animal mm-hmm. or chasing it they're, then they're not working and you might be missing something and so yeah there's a couple of reasons why it's really important that they are, are focused on the job yeah and on the on on the human as well together yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I mean if nothing again if nothing else for safety like i want my dogs to be able to 
have half an ear towards me, if not a full ear towards me, so that I can give them an emergency down cue or a recall cue or whatever it is that I may need just, um, yeah, for safety. Or, you know, even just being able to call them and say, hey, check over here. Um, <laughs> you know, giving a little bit of feedback on their search. Absolutely. The and and in, the, in, in, in the natural environment, yeah. it's really dynamic. You know, we, we might be stepping over a, a tuft of grass that has a rabbit that bounces straight out in front of you. And and that's when those instructions like your emergency stop or your recall uh, are vital. Or even if you've got an injured livestock, we, we come across all kinds of things in our survey area where we have to put them, say, in a wait while we go and tend yeah. to an animal. Um, and so there's, there's all of these kind of... Wow. It's almost like... Uh-huh working with them to understand that as we believe our dogs are sentient beings that these other animals in their survey area are also sentient beings and that we need to be respectful in that in that area with them yeah are there any other you know if i ask uh, you know kind of the the dummy question of why why this is important is there anything else that comes to mind that we haven't covered yet as far as you know it's we want them to be able to collect this good data we don't want them to harm wildlife we don't want them to harm themselves um are there any other good reasons we need to cover for, i mean and i don't know if anyone in our audience needs to be convinced on this one but <laughs> i think that if we're going to be respected um as a mm-hmm. a survey methodology mm-hmm. um we need to make mm-hmm. sure that we have got um the yeah the respect of researchers scientists uh land managers and um having having that kind of um True. yeah having that kind of um what's the word well it's just yeah that that often we do have people out wa- watching us so it mm. is about um being able to manage your environment and manage the dog and that is a yeah that is also a lower tier but that is also a, a, another another reason that yeah client co- client confidence in what you're doing yeah and that yeah. builds reputation as well if you're good at what you do mm-hmm. and your dogs are good at what they do and they can see that i mean there's been times i've had kangaroos jump you know two meters out in front of of a dog in front of a client mm-hmm. and being able to put them in an emergency stop and the client go, wow. Um, that that means that they respect, yeah. they'll, they'll get you back because they know that you have put the time and energy into what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is that element of um, professionalism. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, you could conceivably in some study areas make an argument where, you know, if my dog chases like the 10,000th urban squirrel that gets chased by a thousand other dogs a month in, you know, an urban park, uh, you know, ecologically speaking, that's not necessarily the worst thing. But professionally speaking, within the field and within the organization, like I would still absolutely want um, my dogs to be able to recall and down and and, you know, ideally even kind of default not not go after that urban squirrel. Again, even if that urban squirrel does kind of get chased as the neighborhood dog's hobby um, regularly, and that's not necessarily like, gosh, not that dogs chasing wildlife is ever something we want to support. But I'm thinking like these really, truly urban animals that it's a regular part of their lives. It's still not, not enough. Those poor squirrels. Yeah. To allow. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking back when I went back when I did a lot of pet dog training, I definitely had clients where it was like that was their daily activity was they took their dog to the park and, you know, they just we just chased you know they just chased chased squirrels with their dogs for 40 minutes every that day if the dog didn't like fetch or whatever it was <clears throat> and um yeah that certainly is still not something that i would like my conservation dogs to be doing um so so okay so what are um go ahead oh i was just saying that yeah it's a it's a different world that kind of when people are exercising their dogs with them um, with uh, other animals and wildlife and yeah, I think from our point of view, it's yeah. professionalism, and it's and it shows that if you, if your dog isn't listening to you, it's a lack of yeah, a lack of training, which is not professional at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Have you have either of you ever come across um, a dog that you were hoping to work for in this line of work, or as maybe as you're selecting, you're coming up with this um, as a criteria? You know. It, whether we're going to call it prey drive or not, like there are, there's a variable amount of kind of natural interest in chasing um, wildlife or full on harming wildlife. How do you view that as both like a selection criteria before the dog is in your, in your program? And um, like, have you ever had to wash a dog out because of this, um, not having much success with it? Or yeah, I think that's a very common question that I get is how do you deal with this on the, the dog selection side of things before you even get into the training too much? Mm. It's a, it's a huge question and we've learned lessons along the way. <laughs> along the way, yeah. haven't we? Yeah, we have. Um, now what we do, we, we do have a process now. Um, we like to rescue dogs now primarily for this reason in that we, I like to rescue an adult who's kind of that fully formed being who has a personality and has the character traits and you get to kind of chat with their, their foster carer and, and get to know them. You can ask for mm-hmm. videos with them around different wildlife um, and really get, and, you know, have them on trial as well. But they 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 kind of are a developed dog at that stage and, and that saves a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of them. Um, time and effort if you can rescue a dog who's already great around animals that's perfect um that being said yeah um we have rescued dogs um or rescued dog in the past that used to um want want to chase and and i think it's really important to know that there is it takes a hell of a lot of work but it can it can be done yeah yeah that that dog so so that was my his his name is jimmy uh, <laughs> some people might know jimmy but he he was a dog that i rescued when i was first came over to australia so maybe five or six months into to me being here and i was still very green myself and actually so was when we rescued this dog it was the first rescue dog for that organization. And I think it was more, the choice was maybe made more on breed than doing these tests that I've, that I've just spoken about, spoken about there. Um, so we, yeah, we've had that in the past with, with, with Jimmy and Jimmy now is the dog. I think that there's a video somewhere up on our social media. He's the, there's a video of him with a, with a wild rabbit and 
I didn't know the rabbit was there. I thought it was a rock. And Jimmy is telling me that there's a <laughs> there, <laughs> that there's a rabbit there, and he is looking at me and waiting for me to to guide him, I suppose, and he- help him get around this rabbit that he's not wanting to disturb. Um, he's also in that video, that same video. He's got he's getting belly rubs with a whole mob of kangaroos around him, <laughs> but. There was a there was a whole journey for Jimmy. Jimmy has his journey, and it and like Trace is saying, it takes a heck of a lot of hard work and training, and it takes a lot of time and patience and and development on the part of that dog. Um, yeah, it's and it's not just in training um, or in field work. Mm-hmm. It's also what is their life like at home. Um, I think it's that kind of it, it's that kind of um, building the relationship. So he understand mm-hmm. he understood that that Fiona and now I, I handle him primarily now, and I he is rock solid. I trust him. I trust him implicitly, um, and mm-hmm. and he. He's my goodest boy now. Um, and that that relationship building, his freedom um, was really important to him. He'd come from a, a place where he was really locked up a lot and didn't have the ability to kind of burn mm-hmm. brightly. So he, when he was kind of initially here, it, he just got his blinders on and just saw the world. And, and, now, and now he sees us is very much part of the picture. And so how do you work with dogs? And and it is working with them. It's mm-hmm. not a one-way yeah. dogs, dogs doing what we tell them to do. How do you get that kind of relationship up that they understand that they've got a really important role with you and that you're going to meet their needs and they're going to be safe and and that you're going to continue to do this work and that they don't need to they don't need to chase so it's been it's been it's been a lot of work and giving him a life as well like a life and a family and Mm -hmm. and and so many other things has just made him the most incredible boy he's the goodest boy Mm. he's my angel (laughs) so it can be done but it's yeah well so much work mm -hmm. yeah Gosh, and I have so many different directions I want to go now with Jimmy. Um, I think, you know, maybe maybe the first that we can dive into because it might be the shorter one. I mean, both of these questions are a whole cans of worms, so we'll see if we can if I can remember both of the tangents. Um, n- knowing what you know now and how you screen dogs and how you select dogs, do you think? that you would go through it again with another dog, knowing how it's turned out on the other end with him. Um, you know, it sounds like he was worth it and worth that effort, but would you would you do something differently on the dog selection end of things nowadays? Um, oh, yeah, I guess we we would and we, and we do. I mean, we've rescued two dogs since who is um, Rex and Sunny, and we, we did do that kind of mm-hmm. vetting process with them and I mean I'm only saying that mm-hmm. because of how busy we are and the fact that we have five dogs and the amount of effort and energy that it takes that it, and that it did take with Jimmy and um, given our schedule and our, our workload and everything I think trying to dedicate it's not that you can't do it, it's just do we have the, the time to do it whereas 
yes, mm-hmm. Sunny and Rex, they, they were up and running in four to six months, which is what was needed for us. Um, but Yeah, that makes it, perfect it, sense. It absolutely can be done, and I think it's just whether someone has the, the, the knowledge and the dedication and the time and the resources to... And the support. And the support, yeah, to do it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. But, yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad now yeah. Jimmy's just a beautiful being and, and we're, we're very glad that he's in our lives. He's my soul dog, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Glad yeah, I didn't well, feel yeah, like I mean, it reminds me. <laughs> there were some days. <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, that's that's what I want to circle back to is, you know, some of the stuff you did with him and to going through his journey, because I think that might be an interesting prism to both see what you've what you've done with one dog that struggled with this. And then we can talk about, you know, stuff that we would do differently or, you know, um, and I'm happy to talk about my my guys as well. But um, it reminds me a little bit of when I'm listening to podcasts or watching people who um, are in kind of the sport of canine nose work. And I see some of the beautiful, exquisite, brilliant training plans that are being put into place. um, And the amount of work that's being put into place to get some of these dogs up to titling at these elite or summit levels. And I'm watching it and I'm some like a lot of the times I'm watching these people coax these you know, like a whip it through like the elite level of titling and nose work. Um, and I'm just watching these trainers and I'm like, God, I would love to see what you could do if I handled you barley mm-hmm. for six months. Um, and I think, you know, what you said um, about Jimmy kind of resonates in that where I think there are people maybe, and maybe this might be more common in the sport world or early working dog folks when you only have one or two dogs and you can, you can do that brilliant, exquisite, challenging training to get through to the other end. But at some point, yeah, if you've got five other dogs and all of these projects lined up, maybe it's easier to just hire the dog that is readier for the job. Take the I don't know. Does that, does that resonate? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we. it, it, it is... It is almost a time thing and a and, and a, a, a bit of a shortcut thing of, of learning lessons and how could we get a dog up a bit quicker. But but all dogs come with you know whether it's their chasing or their mm-hmm. recall or their you know especially in a in a rescue situation you're not quite sure what the history is there's a lot there's a lot of unknowns as well so you still regardless of what you do you're still working through things it's just what things what 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 priorities what are priorities for you in in your experience and work and what can you manage or not with your time resources that sort of stuff yeah, but yeah, I mean, it sounds a lot like you know talking to people about getting married. <laughs> it's like you know what 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 are you willing to live with, and what you know what are the the things that you can live with because there's always going to be something. <laughs> true, very true. Yeah, but um, in regards yeah. to training, we can talk a little bit about what we did with Jimmy. Um, and and because it, it it's it, I guess a, a little bit about that. Um, when do you want to talk about? What yeah, I mean, yeah, we work. obviously we had a bit of a chat about this, of course, before we came on, and we said, you know, do we mm-hmm. do we want to talk about Jimmy? How, you know, open do we want to be? And we actually felt like it was really important to 
talk about about mm-hmm. him, his journey and the lessons. And we can also mention that the training is probably the foundation and, and one very important part. And it was a lot of controlled exposure and uh, positive reinforcement uh, training with us um, and making it kind of giving Jimmy a choice was, was very, very important. And for any, when we're introducing any dog to doing any animal interaction training, whether it's one of our dogs or someone else's, it is that thing of giving Jimmy, who probably didn't have much freedom and much choice in his life, giving that to him and, uh-huh. and the option to make the right decision that the reward is going to be way better than, you know, and, Animals rest training is always done on a long line, um, than just you know hanging out at the end of a long line. That if he turns away or comes back to me, that that that's a reward. Pairing with when he started to learn his job, that the job is the reward, and so and and also the the other component of that is um, the building of the relationship and the trust between us and Jimmy. Yeah. There's kind of like these all these different pieces that fit into it. Mm. And mm. I think that's what you were saying before about when it becomes mm-hmm. not not just training. Training I mean training has got to be constant and regular and well managed, but then it is also if you're talking about um trust with a with a working dog and, and that's your teammate, it mm-hmm. becomes it does become more holistic and he had to trust me that I was going to look out for him look after him and that's we all know that's a 24 7 thing with with any dog and with Mm -hmm. working dogs as well it is so that yeah that that kind of bond building and trust and watching Jimmy Jimmy's development into the dog that he could become um was yeah super rewarding to watch yeah absolutely yeah yeah, well, and that, I mean, and it sounds like what you're describing as well incorporates both, you know, there's all these different frameworks in the dog training and behavior world of, you know, whether we're talking about like Sarah Strumming and the four steps to behavioral wellness, and it, it sounds like you're talking about, you know, he needed to have those exercise and enrichment needs being met, and he needed to have that communication, that trust with you before you could even really start having success with a training plan. So, you know, that's like, the Sarah Strumming framework, and then there's the Susan Friedman humane hierarchy framework, where again, it's, you know, that very first step is making sure that the dog is healthy and they feel safe in their environment and that they're pain-free and they're adequately nourished. Um, And then you start setting up the environment so that they're likely to be successful. So you're talking about having them on long lines. You're talking about probably, you know, working in a controlled scenario, um, uh, whether it's livestock behind a fence or, you know, whatever it is. And I know I'd love to talk more about kind of the specifics of setting these up because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Um, And then, yeah, the positive reinforcement and actually rewarding him. But you've got to do, there's there's so many steps before you even get there. And again, well, like going back to my pet dog training days, you know, I think so many people are like, well, the trainer said, or the trainer before you said, or the internet said Mm -hmm. to give my dog a treat when he looks away from the squirrel, Mm -hmm. but he will never look away from a squirrel. And then you look at the training scenario and you've got a dog who was in the crate for eight hours and just got out for its first potty break of the day. And they're standing on a six foot leash, 
three feet away from the tree that the squirrel is up and it's chattering at them and they've got a pocket full of stale milk bones. And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, you've got the right idea, but I can see why this feels like it's not working. Um, I mean, it's not working. (laughs) It's funny because, again, we were talking to one of our handlers, Laura, and and she about this and that we were doing this podcast and she used the phrase you know setting them up for success and that's that is everything well for any dog training of course but it's the same yeah it's exactly what you're talking about Kayla it's it's the same you've got to you've got to set it up right and set them up up for success when whether that's distance and distraction or reward or them well to be honest it's about good communication Mm. and, and being able to properly communicate to your dog what you're after and yeah working mm-hmm. working together yeah so what would one of those training scenarios and we, you know we can keep picking on jimmy or if you want to talk about what it would look like today with one of your with one of your dogs what would like a an early training session look like Maybe just kind of for, yeah, like your average dog. We're not talking about the dogs where you're really having to fight that natural inclination to chase. And we're not talking about those dogs that, you know, those rare gems where they're just kind of like, bunny, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's there, but I don't care. Like kind of your average dog that that is interested, but. Well, well, I mean, I think one of the one of the major ones that we do, of course, is just exposure. So lots and lots and lots of different animals, flooding, um, and getting them getting them around so that they become it becomes normalised. Um, big shout out to mm-hmm. Silverton Camel Farm right now. <laughs> we, we used to go up um, into the desert for a, a, a gig every month, and um, they have a menagerie of everything. Mm. Like everything, like goats, oh, yeah, cats, peacocks, donkeys, camels, of course, yeah. dogs. Um, I, I, I'm sure it's, it's just huge, and these animals are all over the property. And so we go up there every month. We stay there for a week every month. Um, we go for walks amongst wow. animals, um, and they just—they're like they can't get away from it. Um, they just can't get away from it. It's just all there, mm-hmm. and, and it's and it's wonderful because yeah. um, they they go okay, okay. There's going to be stuff around me, and that's going to be cool. We're going to be fine about it. Yeah, and I, I think for Jimmy, it was yeah. more, if, if early on with Jimmy, it was for instance, if we knew that there was kangaroos in a paddock, it was popping him on the long lane and knowing what reward I was going to use with him, which I would have both like food and, and ball and just taking him mm-hmm. out there to the kangaroos. And it is that, that moment of just waiting for him to doesn't even, he didn't even need to look all the way back at me, but he just needed to drop his attention for a second and me to, to reinforce that and then work on it mm-hmm. say either get closer with her or distance or try and lessen the time that he might be st- stood there staring at them working on that initially and having the dog come back and for him it was mostly rewarding with ball that was his kind of highest reward and then slowly mm-hmm. working on sometimes of course just the, you know, you're different you're variants of um of rewards but working on distance or, or then getting him off lead then just working hard, it, it becomes a thing then when you when you get to a certain stage where he doesn't need a reward and he doesn't need to come back to me and he can just get a praise reward because he's ignored them and he's carried on. And I think that's 
what we're talking mm-hmm. about their work as well is that work as long as they understand the game of work and the game of working with me that then becomes far more interesting to them than the kangaroos over there the other part with jimmy is um now he'll, he'll come back and and you'll be able to sit with him and watch and cuddle and mm. and it's just a lot it's it, it the energies it's like you've kicked a couple of logs out of the mm. fire and it's starting to to, uh-huh. to load if that's how i can describe it um and and now it's just yeah a, yeah a kind of you know calmness calmness with it yeah he doesn't yeah, he doesn't need to have that super high level reward anymore because it's just, it sounds like it's almost, you've gotten to the point now where it's just not as tempting to pay attention to these animals or chase them or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Is that that kind of accurate? Yeah, and I think it's, again, it's that he, it's that working relationship again. And that's when I brought up that, that video of the wild rabbit, his first kind of instinct is, he wasn't even staring at the rabbit. I think he's looking. He doesn't even want to look at it. Um, bless <laughs> him. He wants to look at. He wants to look at me. It's 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 about mm-hmm. looking at the handler for guidance about what to do with this situation, um, rather than any kind of interest in the animal itself. There's more of a, a, an instinct to, okay, what's what's my human after here, and how are we going to navigate this? Mm, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. So yeah, so you're kind of starting out. I mean, again, we like we always are starting out with the very basics of that working relationship and the nutrition and the comfort and the safety with with our canine partners. But then you're you're going into these scenarios um, where you've got this this amazing farm. I mean, how cool! I'm already like brainstorming, being like, yeah, I've got okay, I've got friends with chickens, and I've got the place I used to take riding lessons. They've got a bunch of different livestock, like you know, thinking through the different places I could. Take take my dogs um, and yeah, practice in these kind of controlled environments. Did you have any kind of other um, intermediate steps or other exercises you like doing either again with, with Jimmy in particular that you've done with other dogs? Like I know I've done some work where, you know, we start practicing with recall away from toys um, and disengaging from a toy as kind of like a really, um, really controlled way to start that skill. Is there anything like that that you've kind of experimented with? Yeah. So we, we should say for all our dogs, before they're even put out in the field, before they're working and, and, and deployed, they have to pass what we call as our safety and welfare assessment. Um, and they do that before they then also mm-hmm. need to pass our detectability assessment to check that they're on track with what they're looking for. But yeah, our, our safety and welfare assessment has it's broken down into three different parts, and the first part we used to call control, and now the control assessment. Now we call it communication and cooperation, and that's all what we call our safety mm. instructions, which is those recalls in familiar and unfamiliar environments with different distractions, um, the emergency stop that we talked about, and an emergency stop with us again with distractions with us throwing a toy in their direction that that they need to either they can either take off and we can stop or they stop right away when we when we throw it so there's all these kind of and Mm -hmm. we call it communication and cooperation because we do feel like that's a two-way 
two-way street again we need firstly as handlers we need to make sure we are are we are we properly communicating with them because if we're not then that's on us and then mm-hmm. cooperation if they do understand the communication are they then cooperating and then the and then the second component is what we're touching on now, which is our what we call our, our interaction assessment, which is actually not just with animals, it's with people and vehicles as well. Um, but, yeah, so we have, we definitely put a, a few, a, a lot of training and then a few tests on the dogs before they're even then kind of hanging out with, with animals. My name is Key, and I have a two-year-old working Cocker Spaniel named Cooper. Cooper and I are new to this field of conservation detection dog work, so I am loving being a Patreon of the Canine Conservationist. Uh, We get to meet once a month via Zoom with people all over the world and watch each other's videos and um, give input, and it's just been such a wonderful learning opportunity. Um, On top of that, I'm really excited about something that's about to start, which is a book club that we're going to be going through a scent book that I tried to go through on my own and realized I really needed some more help. So it was perfect timing for me, and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Just being able to meet people and talk through issues and um, better understand the whole field of canine conservation work um, has just been such a, a great thing and Kayla and the canine conservationist have played such a huge part in that happening for me. So thanks Kayla. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know I've actually, I I think at some other point on some other podcast or maybe in a conversation with you, you've talked about these assessments that you do kind of just internally. Um, And that's, that's a Skyla specific thing. That's not like Australia, the Australasian conservation dog group. Um, That's, that's Skyla's. Yeah, this is, this is our our own document that we've, we've, yeah. with that we're and it's always a working document to be honest it's always we're always of course yeah it's always evolving (laughs) as it should that that being said that i think the ACDM yeah yeah of course is the acdm they are doing their own i should know this their own guidelines is it covering that as well or just components of it yeah Yeah, components of it so the Mm -hmm. yeah they're building up their own um guidelines but i guess what we've done is um this document um, has evolved through, mm-hmm. you know, um, stuff that's come out of search and rescue, stuff that's come out of um, other, like, for example, New Zealand has um, has an assessment standard, so mm-hmm. looked at that standard and incorporated what we felt was beneficial in that. Um, it also looks, you know, from a self-safety yeah. model, it also looks at the handler it's not just the dog so can the handler actually yeah okay big um and have the fitness levels depending on what the what what the job is um and yeah it's 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 mm-hmm. it's something that we have developed internally and continue to improve and develop and and i'm very proud of that it gives clients again um clients we can show video evidence of everything that we do it gives them some sort of um, confidence in our professionalism and and the work that we do with our dogs. Uh, the other thing we can do if a client yeah. really wants to do it, the client is welcome to assess us themselves, um, and we can give them that mm-hmm. framework. The way it's written, it's it's done in a way that any ecologist or land manager can pick it up and see. 
it's a competent or not competent kind of process. So it, it can be really, um, yeah, something that they can do if they want to have that extra rigour involved as well. But we do it internally as as just a general rule. And it's great because, yeah. you know, dogs are, are growing and developing as we go along and we always say that, you know, we mm-hmm. it was the saying, it's the um, progression over perfection and, and we, we constantly work on yeah. ourselves as much as if not more than, than the scenting. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I've been in a little bit of a training rut for the last, I was going to say a couple of months, but I guess I've been in Kenya for the last seven weeks and I've been training a lot there, but with my dogs, <laughs> I've been in a little bit of a training rut for the last couple of months because both of them, as far as their, their scenting and detection stuff, I don't have any issues with where they're at right now. It's not that they're perfect. It's not that they're done, but just, you know, we don't have anything that needs to be happening there. And I think I've been in a rut for a while, kind of forgetting about some of these other aspects that are really important. And, you know, I had the realization actually when I was in Kenya working with these dogs and watching them do some of their kind of fitness safety drills with the dogs I I had this realization of like gosh I've been in a rut for months and I haven't bothered Niffler still doesn't have an emergency down I still haven't taught him that and I can see where even on a really minor level just having that document for or a document like that for myself or for the canine conservationist team would really help us you know, kind of be like, okay, I don't, I don't have anything I feel like I'm working on right now. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is some, you know, having a, like a reminder of the stuff I could be working on. Yeah, um, absolutely. Cause and there's yeah. always plenty to do. There, there is always, and we've found even with our lot, you're always that maintenance training thing of, you know, one month the dog could have an outstanding stop coming towards you and then a couple mm-hmm. of months later it might have dropped off because it hasn't been you just notice a little bit the performance maybe dropping off a bit and you go oh okay I, yeah we need to I thought that was perfect and it was a couple months ago but maybe uh-huh. but it's not anymore <laughs> yeah. let's do let's do a let's do a safety and welfare training session and they love it yeah they love it yeah. because you know they know oh, it yeah and, of course and build it in and have fun and um, you know, it is it is hard. You can get into ruts. You, you really can, especially when you do this professionally and you're out, you know, working in the field day after day and then you've got to come mm-hmm. on and, and you've got five five working dogs under six um, and you don't have a day off unless you do it. Yeah. Hours of training. Otherwise, it's insane. So you might as well just get up and do two hours of training with them. And um, but, so it can be. And then you can have your day. <laughs> then you can sit down and watch a movie, you know. But but um, I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's really um, it really is important to have a good plan on what you want to do, where you want to go, and and why you want to do it. Like everything in our safety and welfare assessment is field based. If it doesn't, if it isn't something that is completely transferable over into the operational environment, we don't do it. Yeah, yeah. We give examples for mm-hmm. for everything. So yeah, the the weight at a distance from the handler. You know, it, these are things that we do on a daily basis, and, and mm-hmm. we just put why we why we do them in the operational. Yeah. environment. and, and examples of where we've done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't do more than 
what we need to in terms of that stuff, but we do the, the basics and try yeah. and do them well to, to keep everyone safe. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I want to teach my dog a trick for fun, I'll treat him a, teach him a trick for fun, <laughs> but yeah. like that, that, that can be separate from, from this. And, um, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. What are some of the other, so you've got, you've got these emergency stops, you've got recalls, you've got the animal interactions. What are some of the other things I, I didn't share as much? I'm, I, I don't know how proprietary you are with this information. Like I'm just, I'm fascinated with this document and I'm like, can I get a copy of it? I like, I will pay you. You should sell this as a PDF, make it an ebook. We will all buy it from you. Like, can we look at this? I was saying, like, more than what it is. <laughs> um, oh, I guess it's, it's not because it's pretty, yeah, rudimental, but I guess some of the other things are, like we were saying, it's in three mm -hmm. parts, so your communication and cooperation, what we use mm -hmm. in the field. Oh, yeah, recall, emergency stop, you use them the most. Um, we do side. You, you're a big fan of, of side or heel. I do. I've had too many mobs of, of like, too many... Um, her like sheep, mob of sheep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was right. I went mob. I'm like, what am I doing with kangaroos? Mob of sheep being moved in on me um, by farmers when they're moving mm. sheep in, and so getting and being able to get a dog to side. I've had hundreds of sheep around my dog and I, um, and being able to just kind of stand there still, right. things happening. Mm. Um, so so really, mm -hmm. and all vehicles are coming through. We're constantly in the um, in the industry environment, so we've constantly got cars and all sorts mm -hmm. of stuff so being able to again this is a very search and rescue thing uh, but being able to get your dog into a spot where you're safe the both of you um so side's important weight yeah yeah um yeah the, the weight at a distance one i think we like another that that example that you used before of an injured wildlife and you don't want to have a dog near it and stress it out anymore so if you can get your dog to wait over there even out of sight whilst you go take care of what you might need to take care of that's that's really important and yeah, yeah good manners around other domestic animals as well because oh, yeah. that's quite mm -hmm. a, a constant and other people i had a farmer come up to me today and um, and rexy was a good boy and just sat and wait, waited as the farmer talked to me and he had a couple of dogs on the back of his ute that were going off a little bit and it's just important that my dog then doesn't react to that and yeah scratches you or anything <laughs> and the other one um the other day mm -hmm. i had I had again a farmer using a dog to move sheep um and i was standing there with my dog at my heel watching them and then and as soon as they were out of you know the way started working my dog and i was kind of thinking isn't this cool like there's two working dogs here doing completely mm -hmm. different jobs <laughs> in like just paddocks next to each other like yeah the side of the fence and they're both just doing their work yeah. and I just it, mm, it makes me really mm. I love dogs dogs are cool <laughs> and they they yeah. do it yeah, yeah we are so lucky <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then do you um you know as you're you know working through these things like I know I've certainly fallen victim to this and it's top of mind because I just was thinking about it with the, the team in Kenya. Um, we were doing some, again, kind of these uh, agility, obedience, safety combo drills with um, one of the dogs and um, Percy the Malinois. And she, um, I was just absolutely floored. It was the first time I'd watched them run through this exercise of how 
snappy they were able to um get her to recall off of a thrown toy and just i mean it, it was it was just beautiful exquisite training and what i was talking to the handlers about is okay this clearly has not yet transferred over to the hyraxes and the dictics mm. you know how do we how do we start moving from from these stepwide progressions and i think that's where like the you know what we've talked about earlier with the, you know practicing with livestock and long lines and some of these sorts of things um but i think sometimes people get stuck in in that intermediate um next step phase is that something that you've seen or something you've experienced where it's difficult to translate it over into an actual field environment yeah it's it's um you can always train for a test that that's what i would say about it um you can always train a dog to do a function and then does it translate into animals or the operational environment and i guess we're very fortunate um we are in the operational environment a lot so we get to um mm -hmm. I'll, I'll throw in an emergency stop just because and so it becomes an automatic thing or just part of what we do in a search um and there might not mm -hmm. be any reason to do the emergency stop it's just kind of yeah that's it let's go and and so when it when it happens it's a it's a an automatic thing versus a you know oh hang on you're saying it's stop there must be something around here what's going on <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah 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 and the ball throwing i guess um you're right it it, it doesn't it, it is something that um it doesn't directly translate, but it does teach a dog how to stop in full flight. And that's, that's, that's yeah. important mm -hmm. because often if, if something bounces straight out, I mean, that their instinct is in front of them and you've got to be able to drop them straight down. So, um, so having that experience of how, how they can, how they can stop when they're moving, because our dogs are often like, you know, you know, moving at quite a speed yeah. naturally as they as they're searching and quite far yeah. ahead uh -huh. as well. So they they can be working yeah quite quite a bit ahead of us. That whatever the animal might be or the car or what have you, it's potentially closer to them than we are. So yeah, yeah it's important to practice that as well. That yeah, the the, the distraction might be closer than than the than the handler. Or the hazard, mm -hmm. as you were saying. Or like I've had I've had vehicles definitely come through my search area, and Oakley's been on a transect, and I've just had to down him really quickly as he's flying as yeah. he's along, and and that's it's it's all it's and that's why I think you know you can we talk about interactions being animal interactions or just interactions in general, and um and that communication and cooperation with you and the dog and training for it it's it, it's all it's quite as you were saying quite holistic it's it's a bigger picture thing versus yeah what do you, how do you train it's like well how do you stay safe mm -hmm. yeah no and I, I mean my hat's really off to you for all of the the effort you put into it and the amount of thought you've put into it because i think you know, there's a lot of variety in this field that I've seen and heard from others about kind of the degree to which people consider themselves to be trainers or the degree to which maybe it's the dog's responsibility to be able to step up or maybe it's 
just finding a dog who's high drive enough that you can get through anything as long as you've got a ball in your pocket. And um, I really admire and respect and like your approach as far as really thinking about it holistically and focusing on the partnership and building up. Um, I, oh, I had a question um, that is less related to my just effusive phrase for a minute there. But um, do you, um, as you're kind of working through with a new dog and you've got kind of these, this goal of the, these assessments um, in mind, do you use that as a tool to kind of check what you need to be working on next? Or are you kind of constantly, I mean, yeah, kind of constantly being able to readjust and think about what gaps that any dog may currently have? Um, yeah, well, it's, it, uh, yeah, it would depend on the dog. So I'm thinking there, like Sonny's, a, if I've understood the, the question right, Sonny's quite a good example that he came without, you know, those the issues that we're talking about today in terms of interaction. But he had a pretty, pretty poor recall, to be honest. Um, non-existent almost. Oh, yeah, non-existent. He would just take off and kind of turn around mm -hmm. and stare at you. And I think for him, perhaps previously, that thing of maybe coming back to a human wasn't a positive experience for him. And we clicked, sure. on, clicked on that pretty early on that, yeah, all those other aspects of the safety and welfare assessment are fine. He loved a stop and loved a wait. But the, re the for some reason, that recall just took took time and took patience and talking again about dog training and those kind of small baby steps that we needed to take with him. Um, so for him, and then, and then again, talking about relationship base and trust, that's, that was the big one for Sonny when he learned to trust. He'd been passed around a little bit. And then, yeah, when he learned that he could trust us and that coming back to us was a good thing and that, not only a good thing in that he would be, you know, positive re reinforcement would happen when he arrived, but of course now I don't need to give him anything and it's more that mm. that working together, understanding the job and the partnership again, that he loves to come back, check in, and off he goes again. But give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> give me a kiss. <laughs> and yeah, I think so for him, we, we, that, that was the, he took a little bit longer to get, in the field and it was for the recall which sometimes is very easy and basic for a dog but but not for this particular one yeah yeah it's always going to be a little different from dog to dog as far as what they need to work on just as and just like all of us like god i'm a great writer i'm a very fast writer but i'm a terrible proofreader <laughs> you know <laughs> we've got <laughs> we've really got some stuff to work on i got the number of times i have published something on instagram with the wrong date um, um, yeah. it's just abhorrent <laughs> so you know it is what it is um yeah so as we're kind of wrapping up here is there anything more we wanted to talk about or dive into on kind of these animal interactions um safety welfare yeah I, i'd like to touch on um when we talk about managing it and i think that it's really really important mm -hmm. because, um yeah we need to think about the hazards and plan for them before you mm -hmm. can get out into the field. So being really, really mindful about when you go out, what what are the potential risks that may be involved for you and the dog? And 
I mean, they can be anywhere from mm -hmm. um, the, the wildlife or interactions here in Australia, snakes are a doozy, um, and, and yeah. other, other hazards like, um, you know, baits here in Australia or um, so snakes, baits, um, weather. weather. So there's, there's all these kind of mm -hmm. poisons potentially also in, 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 in agriculture areas. So it's really important that we, that we think about really sit down and go into detailed planning and thinking about what the hazards might be before you even go out. So I would just really strongly recommend people think about that before they take their dog out because there's been times when, when and, and this is through lessons, you know, I've, I've gone out and all mm -hmm. of a sudden there's a hazard there that I hadn't considered might be there and, and it's changed everything mm -hmm. in the moment. And, and these guys, I mean, they're our family. Um, they're our co-workers. They're, yeah. they're, they're our life. And um, mm -hmm. they need us to protect them as well as, yeah, as well as they're yeah. doing what they're doing. But they need us to, to do our job and our job is to make their world as safe as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, yeah, being aware and being, you know, being aware ahead of time and pre-planning and then, you know, being vigilant when you're out and adjusting to the conditions you're seeing and preparing with your dog ahead of time and having those, you know, having a long line available if you need or, um, yeah. you know, whatever it may need to be in order to, yeah, keep yourself safe, keep your dog safe, keep, every, you know, everyone else in the environment safe. It's all good stuff. Yeah. Any, so anything else, anything else we need to jam on, circle back to? I don't think so. Do you, do no, you have anything? Yeah. I don't think I've got anything. Yeah. Just I think we covered it. Yeah, just okay. Yeah. And, and put lots of put, puts lots of time into them. But they they have so much to, to yeah. share with and teach us. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, have some sort of a roadmap of where you need to go with the dog and figure out what you need to do to get there and then get creative about those those steps. It's some, Sarah Strumming said this at some point on her podcast, and I, she may have been quoting someone else when she said it, but she said, often when you're seeking advice from another trainer, what you're really looking for is um, help with splitting um, and help with figuring out that intermediate step between where you are and where you're failing. <laughs> um, and I think that's something that is often a really big part of these animal interactions um, is figuring out how to make that intermediate step happen. Yeah, and I would say that um, yeah. it's really important to reach out to other people and, you know, we, we do that through the mm -hmm. Conservation Dog Network. We, we put in calls to other dog handlers if we've got questions yeah. um, and we have people call us mm -hmm. that might have questions and, and being open and sharing and, and um yeah, open for learning and open to share. Which is, yeah, and, and that does require often taking the ego out of it and asking for advice and asking for help. Yeah. And it's really important to do that if you are stuck at, at, at some point and not just try and hammer through it, but maybe there's someone else out there who's been through it and can help you out. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's that's really an important, and especially I think this is this topic in particular is something that is so important and therefore can also be really emotional. Um, 
but I think we need to be honest about the fact that it is something that takes work mm-hmm. and it's not just that you need to find the magic dog and then it, it'll be easy. Um, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I was going somewhere with that. <laughs> and even, even every dog, you know, not, not every dog is, is appropriate for this, this kind of work and that's okay too. And even yeah. making, make being able to make that call once you have put the effort and the work in and to say, you know what, this is, we are, we are, we're asking a lot of these dogs to go out and search in the natural environment, but also, and have that kind of drive for their job. And at the same time, to have the, the character traits and the ability to, to ignore what's out there that we don't want them interacting with. So it is, mm-hmm. not every dog can do this and that's, that's okay as well. And, and it's yeah, just about, absolutely. about um, being honest with yourself and your dog and if you can get there, great. And if you can't, that's, that's also going to be the right decision. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, yeah, I think, dog selection is definitely a really big part of that and that's why I wanted to start there in this conversation because like I mean part of the reason that I personally really gravitate towards border collies is while they do tend to be they're highly visual they're chase motivated they're herding dogs you know they want to see things and control its movement and and you know but they also are bred to be highly responsive around stock mm-hmm. and and you know like those genes can work in your favor and i like working with dogs where that can work in my favor um i'm sure there are ball crazy jack russell terriers that i would love to work with but it would be a lot more challenging on um on the you know on the animal interaction side of things and again i'm sure it would be doable with at least some dogs but you can stack the deck in your favor with the right breed and then the right individual within you know the breed or the mutt or whatever um yeah but yeah you can yeah, and again i think there, there's just so much ego and there's so much um <laughs> i think there's a lot of fear of admitting that this is something that's hard and it is something we need to work on because if we admit that and the wrong biologist or researcher or land manager hears it and then they're like oh god dogs chase wildlife mm. um i don't want to use that method anymore i think that sometimes leads to again this this topic getting avoided at times i don't know if that is just my my perception of it yeah it's um it it, it's really really important everything is about as we were saying safety and one of the key things about safety is being very very honest about what the risks are and if your dog is potentially a risk that needs work then you need to work that mm. um you can't you can't be oblivious to it and and you know i think you know fee coming fee and i coming on here and being open about um what some of our thinking and steps have been with with dogs we've done that so that um it's not just the Oh, you know, our dogs are great. We choose this because this is the way we go and um and and this means that we completely mm-hmm. avoid the risk and, and, and taking that kind of how do people learn from that? How, besides Yeah. They're in the moment mm-hmm. now. And this is what our employee Laura was saying last night to us. Like, um, how does how is that encouraging or helpful 
to people who might be really passionate about doing this and that might have some trouble but how does that help them work through the issue so yeah I, I think mm -hmm. it's really important to be well, and I think acknowledging um, yeah absolutely and acknowledging that we've struggled with this and that the dogs don't come out of the box perfect I know I've talked to plenty of aspiring or green or somewhat novice conservation dog handlers who feel really guilty or concerned about their fact that their dog has some amount of interest in wildlife and they're like i i just don't know if this dog is going to be able to do it and it's like oh i th i think pretty much all of our dogs <laughs> have had to work through some of this at some point mm -hmm. and again like it's not that every every issue is going to be surmountable but um i, I think a lot of times there's yeah a lot of anguish over this question and wondering if you're going to have to wash a dog and like on one hand animal interactions are one of the number one reasons that i would wash a dog out of my mm -hmm. life uh, my program but it also you know uh, some amount of interest and some amount of work is absolutely expected well, it is 10.30. I think we are going to wrap up here. I know it's not quite as late for you, but you've had a long day anyway. Um, so where um, where can people find you guys online? Do you have, um, I think this episode is going to go live in late June or early July. So if you have anything that may be in the works that people should know about after that time frame, you feel free to mention that as, that now as well. Hmm. Um. Well, we do have that workshop coming up in August, but I think that that'll kind of be um, yeah, full. Kind of already, yeah, by then. And and I would say anyone yeah. listening in Australia or, or further afield, we always like to promote the ACDN and the absolutely the conference that's coming up in mm -hmm. August. So, and then other than that, we're just always plodding along with our different different projects. So, yeah, they can yeah. follow us. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, yeah. um, like all the standard socials. And yeah, we've got we're, we're actually mm -hmm. we're actually pretty excited. Next week, being we're in May May now, but but from May to early June, mm -hmm. we're heading up into the the desert to go and look for a little marsupial critter called the kawari, and we're pretty excited about that. So we're just going to be out of be, be out of oh for a while and go camping in the desert. <laughs> I'm pretty excited anyway. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that sounds lovely. I did. I just got back from the desert and it snowed here in Montana today. And I'm so happy. To, <laughs> like, I'm not gritty. I'm not sandy. I don't have any thorns in my feet. Um, this is a big, big, big improvement. Although uh, I'm sure in like three days, I'll be sick of the snow again. Yeah. yeah that's how it goes. Cool. Oh my gosh, we'll have so much fun and we're excited to, um, you know, hear more about that project and all of your other projects. You guys, I don't know how you keep up with all of this and with the ACDN and, or the a, 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 Australian Conservation Dog Network. Conference? The Network? Aus Network. Aus uh, ACDN. I had it right the first time. Yeah. Network. Okay. I don't <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah but anyway um yeah thank you both so much for coming on well thanks for having us it was always a, it's a yeah it's yeah. one that we talk about a lot anyway so mm. it was nice to yeah nice to chat with you Kayla about it so thank you 
Yeah, no, I'm always happy to dig into it more. And, you know, it's something, yeah, we're kind of always thinking about. I've got one dog who's easier and one dog who's a little more challenging with it. And, um, you know, it's always... It's always a question. It's always different from, and this is something we didn't even get into, but, you know, from environment to environment. Um, one of my dogs struggles a lot more um, in kind of open, scrubby environments and actually has a better time in denser environments because birds are his big distractor. Um, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> there'll be a part two, three, five, ten over the coming years with <laughs> with animal interactions, I'm sure this is... This is a big one. So this was a great primer. Thank you both so much for coming on. Um, for all of our listeners, um, make sure to check us out at canineconservationist.org. You can buy t-shirts and uh, sweatshirts and all that good stuff. You can also join our Patreon. That's canine, uh, uh, patreon.com slash canineconservationists. Um, and yeah, you can find us on all the socials. Uh, let us know what you think about this episode. Um, drop in any questions you've got for us. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely let us know if you like it and if you want us to do another one. Thanks for coming back on, guys. Thanks for having us.